Good morning. It's a pleasure to be back here with you all again. It's especially a pleasure to see Brandon back as well. Um, but that just, you know, pumps up my adrenaline even more because now I'm filling the pulpit of the man who's sitting in the first pew. So uh, that's always a little nerve-wracking. Um, bow with me in prayer. Father, thank you for another glorious morning that we can come and we can praise you, worship you, and that we can remember and memorialize the death of your son, his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Father, as we consider your word this morning, open our eyes to what you have to say. Unveil our eyes to our, our sins that we have put blinders on to. Give us confidence in you. Reveal to us where we need to grow and where we need to be sanctified in our relationship with you. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Turn over to Psalm 23 with me this morning. Psalm 23, probably one of the most well-known texts in the Bible worldwide. It's quoted in so many movies that you can't even count them. It's quoted across all forms of literature as one of uh, the greatest poems ever penned, uh, expressing the confidence of the writer in his shepherd. In the church today, it is also one of the most comforting texts that we have to express our relationship to the Lord, who He is to us. Follow along as I read Psalm 23. A Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like I said, this is one of the most well-known passages of Scripture ever, and Several years ago in North Carolina, probably coming up on 20 years ago or so now, a 23-year-old heroin addict was found dead in her car. She killed herself with the carbon monoxide fumes from her car. But lying next to her body were the words of a poem, a poem that she had penned and, and reworded from Psalm 23. Uh, she used it to describe her life as an addict. I'm going to read what she penned, but as I read it, Listen to her utter hopelessness and the despair she had in life. Note what she lived for and what she was guided by, driven by in life, in contrast to how David pins his confidence in Yahweh. Here's what she wrote. She said, King heroin is my shepherd. I shall always want. He maketh me to lie down in the gutter. He leadeth me beside the troubled waters. He destroyeth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of wickedness. 
Yea, I shall walk through the valley of poverty and will fear no evil, for thou, heroine, are with me. Thy needle and capsule comfort me. Thou strippest the table of groceries in the presence of my family. Thou robbest my head of reason. My cup of sorrow runneth over. Surely heroin addiction shall stalk me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the damned forever. It's such a hopeless way to look at life. Such a hopeless way to live life. Beside her body also, she left another note saying that jail did not cure me, nor did hospitalization help me for long. The doctor told my family it would have been better and indeed kinder if the person who got me hooked on dope had taken a gun and blown my brains out. And I wish to God he had. My God, how I wish it. That is such a tragic outlook. Not just her perspective, that is tragic. But the doctor's outlook as well. It would have been better for somebody to blow her brains out than get her hooked on heroin. While true, that perspective is also hopeless. You see, to the same degree which God and His Word and the hope that stems from it have been removed from the equation of help and rehabilitation, to that same degree, the light of hope diminishes from this world. A world without God is a dark world. It's void of all hope. This, this story tells us two things about our culture. Two things about our, our goal as ministers of the gospel. First, the world's methods of recovery and rehabilitation are utter garbage. Especially in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the true and great shepherd, who makes us lie down in green pastures, leads us beside quiet waters, restores our souls, and guides us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Second, this story also reveals the need for a living, grounded, and preventive measure of confidence developed before the storms of life hit us. When you think of a storm coming, there's warning. We know storms will come in our lives. We know tough times will come in our lives. What are we doing now in the calm to prepare us for the storm? When a hurricane comes up the coast, we are taking measures to shore up our houses, to put shutters on our windows. We know that will happen in our lives, spiritually speaking, so what are we doing to boost our confidence in God? This is how David is laying out his confidence in the Lord. If you wait to strengthen your hope and confidence in the Lord, the next trial he allows you to go through, the next temptation you face will be that much more difficult to overcome. If we are not grounded now, if we are not grounded in the good times, we will not be grounded in the bad times. And it is that much harder in the middle of a storm to lay a foundation. Whether it's anxiety or depression or some other purported mental illness, the world does not offer anything but temporal and insignificant band-aids, while God himself offers himself. A firm, lasting, eternal fortress of protection, peace, blessing, and restoration. So here in Psalm 23, David expresses his confidence in Yahweh by unveiling in progressive detail three attributes of God's character which his people never lack. Three attributes of God's character which his people never lack. 
The first is his care. The second, his defense. And the third, his presence. This progression that David moves is, is from an everyday situation of peace and tranquility, the picture of the meadow, and then it moves into a theoretical situation in the face of potential danger, to the very real situation of being faced by his enemies, and finally he culminates in the grand declaration of confidence in the everlasting reality of being in the presence of the Lord forever. He's painting a picture of his well-grounded confidence in Yahweh to care for him in every level of life's pressures. From least to greatest, from hypothetical threat to actual threat, from peace to threat of war, from threat of death to immeasurable eternal life. And he begins with the assurance of Yahweh's caring position over him as a shepherd and the comforting declaration that Yahweh, as his shepherd, means he lacks nothing. Look at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. Lord there in all caps is the personal name of God. It is Yahweh. David only utters the name twice in this psalm. First verse and last verse. This is significant. And it's especially significant here because he puts it at the very beginning of the sentence. The general rule in Hebrew grammar is to put the subject after the verb. Here, he fronts it. Yahweh is my shepherd. He's emphatically saying it is Yahweh who cares for me. Therefore, I will not want. He's saying that because Yahweh is his shepherd, he not only will not lack looking toward the future, he also does not lack now or in general. I never lack what I need. Every spiritual need that mankind faces is provided in the Lord. Beloved, do you have the Lord as your shepherd? Then there's nothing you need which you lack. And to look elsewhere for care and comfort is a futile idolatry. Listen as I read Psalm 34. Listen to what David says. Psalm 34, verses 8 through 10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. And listen as I read Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel picks up on this pastoral language for Yahweh when he contrasts the actions of those who should have been good under-shepherds of Yahweh, the prophets called by Yahweh, and he contrasts their actions with those who should have been feeding the flock as good under-shepherds. Listen to what the Lord has to say of them in Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 16. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. 
I will feed them in a good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. Yahweh as shepherd provides for all the needs of his flock. Look at this first attribute of what this looks like. God's people never lack his care. What does David not lack with Yahweh as his shepherd? Well, there's four ways God cares for his people that David lays out. The first is rest. There in verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. This is a picture of spiritual rest and ease and enjoyment, a relaxation that is only to be found in the pastures where Yahweh leads. Consider this, beloved. Obedience to and trust in the Lord's sovereign care and leadership in our lives brings peace. There's nothing more devastating to the human soul than to strive and struggle against the will of God. Because to follow human wisdom and guidance, especially in opposition to the Lord's wisdom and guidance, will only lead to folly and despair. Listen to what Paul says to the Colossians in Colossians 3.15. He says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. There is a necessary element of peace and rest that marks those who claim Christ. Who is your shepherd? If your world is, const- is one of constant drama and anxiety, you find yourself incessantly gis- discontent with your situation and unable to have joy, ask yourself this. Are you submitting yourself to the nurturing care of Christ? Are you truly relying on His provision of rest or seeking to find rest on your own in what you want and how you want rest? We were created to find rest in God alone. Because He alone can give true rest. Anything else will only bring disappointment and lead to a disquieted life. The second way that God cares for us is He leads us. There's a guidance. His guidance itself Not only does he provide rest and fresh, luscious pastures, he also provides constant, calm refreshment in every season of life. He guides us into this spiritual refreshment. Can you see the picture of what David is painting here? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. First time I preached this sermon was in Southern California. It's hard for Southern Californians to picture lush green pastures and flowing water because of the deserts. But here, it's everywhere. We're surrounded by everything the Lord has created. It is lush and green. The rivers are flowing. 
It's a picture of a lush green oasis or a watering hole where the sheep would be safe, where they would be able to find refreshment from the heat with cool water. It's not a swift moving river. Sheep are low to the ground. They get inside a creek that's moving real fast that's beyond their knees. They float off down river. Shepherd's got to go get them after that. Seen it happen. It's hilarious, but not so fun for the shepherd. There's an implication for us as we minister in the church here. How do we avoid spiritual burnout, dehydration, by living in constant obedience to the Lord's leading, submitting to His will, trusting Him to provide the constant flow of refreshment that we need from His person and His word? How do we feed one another? By constantly feeding each other the comforting and refreshing truth of God's word. We've been given the tools we need not only to follow the Lord's lead in our own lives, but his guidance he has preserved for us. The third way the Lord cares for us is restoration. Look in verse 3. He says, He restores my soul. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He provides rest for his people, refreshment for his people. And now David is also showing that the Lord provides restoration for his people. And there may be many reasons we need spiritual restoration in life. David himself, think back to his sin with Bathsheba. And then Psalm 51 and the restoration he sought from God following that. It is describing the grace of God to bring his people back to a state of spiritual rightness, a restoration of our inner being to a state of peace, refreshment, and nourishment in him, a state of obedience that only he can bring about. David uses similar language in Psalm 19 to describe the effects of the word of God, the law of God on the people of God. The law of the Lord restores the soul. And beloved, when we feel burned out, where do we turn? Where do we go for spiritual renewal? When we have fallen, where do we go for spiritual restoration? Turn to the Word. Be renewed there. There is no other place we can go to have our souls renewed and refreshed. Turn to God. The nourishment and restoration is found in Him alone in order to survive this sin-cursed world. Matthew Henry states it this way. He says, Though God may suffer His people to fall into sin, He will not suffer them to lie still in it. Remember the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.13. Even in the face of temptation, he will provide the perfect way out. We can rejoice and have confidence in that act of care. The fourth way that the Lord cares for his people is sanctification. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
He provides rest, guidance, restoration, and sanctification as the way He cares for His people. The ultimate stake for which the Lord provides guidance, the purpose that Yahweh guides His people in righteousness is His name is on the line. Look at that last line in verse 3. For His name's sake. This is the overarching divine motive throughout all of Scripture. In Ezekiel 20, verses 13 through 14, the Lord says, The house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes. They rejected my ordinances, by which if a man observes them, he will live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them in the wilderness to annihilate them. But I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations before whose sight I had brought them out. The divine motive in Scripture is the eternal glory of God. When His name is profaned before the nations, when His name is at stake, He will act to correct it. God's motive is His own eternal glory. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. Our great comfort is that God has made it a matter of His eternal glory to predestine us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. Beloved, the sanctification we have through Jesus Christ is for the sake of God's name. Do you pursue sanctification? Do you walk in the paths of righteousness, pursuing what obedience is toward God? Or do you follow after the world's philosophies and wisdom? Further comfort in this overarching motive comes from Isaiah 40, verses 1-11, through where the comfort of God's people is in being led by Him for His own name's sake. There is much comfort in the presence and guidance of a gentle shepherd. David lays out that wonderful divine truth about the character of God that His people never lack His care. Now he moves on to present the truth that God's people never lack His defense. And he does this by drawing two Very vivid word pictures, two scenarios to illustrate the confidence he has in Yahweh's defense for his people. The first is Yahweh guarding in the presence of danger. David switches here from using the third person and talking about Yahweh to using the second person and talking to Yahweh. He's now directing his attention and expression of confidence to God himself. In verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And here, in describing Yahweh guarding in the presence of danger, he mentions four other aspects. I know my outline's a little bit staggered. We've got our three main propositions. We've got now two more propositions, and now we've got four more. I know, bear with me. We'll get there. He mentions four more aspects involved in Yahweh's defense as a shepherd. 
here in verses 4 and 5. And he does so in what is a, a hypothetical scenario where he says, Yahweh is my shepherd and I lack nothing. I have utter confidence in his care for me so much that even if, though it's not my current situation, I were to walk through the valley of death's shadow, I fear no evil. David's confidence in the Lord is so great that he confidently asserts that no matter the potential for danger, I still will not fear any evil. Why? How does he know this? What is David driving at? What gives David such confidence in the Lord that he makes this assertion? How can David be so unwaveringly fearless? How does he know that he, what he would do even if he were in this situation? Well, he tells us, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Because David's confidence in a hypothetical situation is not based on the situation that he's in, or could be in, but upon the nature of the presence of God. The nature of the Lord's defense is close and personal. You are with me. David is emphasizing this personal nature of Yahweh's pastoral care, his personal care for his flock. It is the close personal presence of Yahweh from which David draws his confidence and assurance. His shepherd, the one who provides his every need, is close at hand, even in the presence of potential danger. He understands the truth that the writer of Hebrews would later remind his readers, the Lord is ever present to and for his people. Hebrews 13.5 says, Be content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua 1.5, Yahweh promises his constant presence to his people as he delivers the promised land into their hands. David here is describing his confidence in the Lord's care and defense as a preventive measure against hopelessness in future in theoretical, dire circumstances. Second, Yahweh's defense is comforting. Your rod and your staff, they what? They comfort me. Not only is the shepherd close and personal, but he has the means to protect sheep in the darkest and most threatening valley. Some here may be walking through what was for David at the writing of this psalm a theoretical situation. Some of you may be close to death. Some of you may have been close to death. Some of you may be in the valley of the shadow of deep darkness. It may be a very present circumstance in your mind. Take comfort in the care and the protection of the Lord. If Yahweh is your shepherd. If Christ is your shepherd, you have no need of fear, for he is with you. When the stresses of life come, where do you turn for your defense? Do you turn to the Lord? Do you turn to his word? to the richness of Christ and His Word? Or do you turn to the counsel of worldly therapists and psychologists who have no understanding of who God is? 
All they can provide are temporal selves that cannot defend the soul from the onslaught of the devil. Worldly philosophies can only turn you inward. When you lack confidence, what does a secular psychologist tell you to do? You give yourself a motivational speech in the morning by telling yourself how great and how powerful and how motivating you are as a human being. There's that one scene, if you've ever seen the Disney movie Cool Runnings, where one of the members of their bobsled team is lacking confidence and being able to stand up for himself both against his father and against some bullies in a bar. And so his buddy tells him to give himself a big motivational speech. I'm a man! And pound his chest and, and, and all that. That is the worldly psychology in opposition to the Word of God. The Word of God says the confidence is not there, but in the shepherd. The world cannot provide comfort or confidence that defends the people of God from the distresses they face in a sin-cursed world. What does David say should drive our confidence? Yahweh defends and cares in the presence of enemies. It is our shepherd. David's second word picture here describes a banquet scenario where the Lord himself presides as a host and David is the guest of honor. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. The banquet is laid out. The food is prepared. The guest of honor is present. But there's something supremely different about this banquet than most banquets that we would think of. The enemies of the guest are also present. The second vivid word picture, David describes that he is under the protection of the host as his special guest, his honored guest. And as such, the other guests at the feast have no recourse against their prey. As I read this, I think of, uh, of David sitting at the table with Saul, with his father-in-law, whom he knew at many times wished him dead. Tried to kill him. Starting indirectly, after he defeated Goliath, tried to get him killed off by the Philistines by sending him on an impossible mission. But then later, directly tried to kill him and take his life. But, not only does David have Yahweh's protection here, but the text is clear, he also has his blessing. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What does he say next? You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is fascinating. Picture what is going on. David is sitting at a banquet table prepared for him. And those who are seeking his life are right there just across the table. And they are powerless to take his life. They have the means. They have the equipment. They have the intent and motive to kill him. 
The only thing keeping them from doing so is the host. They're powerless to take his life. They're powerless to remove his blessings. And in fact, as if to spite the enemies, the host then anoints David and proceeds to fill his cup to overflowing. The whole scenario fits so perfectly with the life of David. No matter who pursued him, no matter how hard they tried, David's constant response was to say, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Unless you think he wrote that in a peaceful circumstance, he was sitting in a cave hiding for his life from the man who was his father-in-law as he penned those words. His confidence was always and constantly in Yahweh. David's life was one of constantly avoiding death by hiding. But not just hiding physically, to preserve his life, but hiding in Yahweh. His confidence was always in Yahweh. And while many of us have never been literally pursued by our enemies, people seeking to kill us, we all need that same confidence. Because what does Peter warn us about the devil? He's wandering around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. The confidence David had in Yahweh spiritually translated to his physical life as well. To the same degree that you have confidence in the Lord spiritually must be the same degree you have confidence in Him physically. The devil is always prowling, seeking to kill, whether physically or otherwise. The church history is filled with with the stories of martyrdom, those who have died in their confidence in God because their confidence was not in their preservation of life here, but in eternity. In the end, God wins. And in the end, our confidence is based in the non-temporal, in the eternal Our response to temptation, our response to stresses in life must be the same as David's. A confidence in the sovereign protection of God. Constantly seeking Him out as our refuge in times of trouble and distress. We must declare with David that the Lord is our rock and our refuge. Not we ourselves. Expressing our confidence in the word to strengthen and arm us in the fight against temptation must be our motto. How did Christ fight temptation in Matthew 4? The word. So the people of God do not lack God's care. They don't lack his defense And now we come to this third attribute of Yahweh's character, which His people never lack, and that is His presence. His presence. 
Look at verse 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Inasmuch as David has woven this, this attribute of the presence of Yahweh as a theme throughout this entire psalm, he now takes a moment to joyfully express that confidence in the very person and presence of the Lord. Having presented the first two attributes, David can't contain himself anymore and he just bursts out in a final verse of joyful exaltation at the blessing which God has bestowed on him. Both in his care and defense, but now also in his presence. We see here his, his confidence in the Lord's faithful presence. David begins drawing his psalm of confidence to a close by personifying the attributes of God that are nearest and dearest to him in light of the Lord's shepherd-like care, his goodness and his mercy. It might even be said that these two attributes act as the sheepdogs of the Lord, pursuing the Lord's sheep all of their life. And I actually like that translation better, pursuit rather than, as the New American Standard says, will follow me all the days of my life, uh, the LSB translates it as will pursue me all the days of my life. And I like that better. David, as a member of the flock of Yahweh, cannot escape the goodness and loving kindness of his shepherd. No matter how hard he tries, Beloved, that is the confidence that we have as well. This goodness describes all that is pleasant and beautiful and good about the Lord. It is David's exaltation that the very goodness of the Lord's holy and righteous character will pursue him continually all of his life. We have that same confidence. Why do we not live like it? Why do we not live the way David did in this psalm? This mercy is an attribute of God also referred to or translated as his loving kindness. This is uh, the Hebrew word chesed. It's a covenantal word. It's a word that is so rich in meaning that the English can't help but to translate it with love and kindness smashed together to try and form this way of, of, of denoting what is actually underlying this word. And that doesn't even come close to the richness of what is meant by this word. It's not only a reference to the Lord's mercy or His kindness, nor only to His love or even the pair together, but also to His unceasing loyalty to His sheep. It's His faithfulness. In His pastoral care, provision, protection, presence, Yahweh is faithful and loyal to do all of these for His sheep, even when their character lacks these qualities. What an outstanding proclamation of who our shepherd is. The shepherd who provides for his sheep, protects his sheep, 
is also always loyal to the sheep even when they wander off. Even when they step into the stream they should not and get swept down river. He is faithful to claim his own. David also presents Yahweh's eternal presence here. He concludes his, his confident proclamation of the character of Yahweh by making a very bold proclamation. I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. David is literally saying that for as long as he lives, he will dwell in the mighty presence of the Lord. The very house of God is his residence. This is comforting both in times of delight and in times of temptation and sin for us as well. In times of delight, we seek the Lord as our provider, as our protector, as our defender, our shepherd. And in times of sin, we oftentimes seek to hide ourselves as Adam and Eve did. But what is his response? How does the Lord respond to us in His loving kindness? He is loyal and faithful to pursue and restore our souls and guide us in the paths of righteousness so that we may dwell with Him forever. We serve an amazing God. When you fall in sin and fear as Adam and Eve did, and you begin to fear the presence of God, call to mind the comfort of this psalm and the joy the presence of the Lord brings, the restoration He brings with Him, and remind yourself that His presence, His presence brings healing and contentment like nothing else ever can. So who is the shepherd you have chosen to follow? If we as the sheep of the Lord seek after the same remedies, the same comforts, the same shepherds as the world, beloved, how do we expect to live as the light of the world for the glory of God? In the midst of a dark, a godless generation, how can we expect to shine if we are not lit by the Word of God? If our confidence does not beam out as a beacon, how can we expect ourselves to shine as a torch with the hope of God's gospel if we constantly lay it aside for the matchstick of the world? We are called to be flames for God, beacons that ignite more beacons in the midst of our world. Every flock that we see should remind us of our own necessities and every pasture should excite us to praise that love by which they are so bountifully supplied. One final point. The New Testament reference of Jesus as our shepherd is the fulfillment of Psalm 23. Is the fulfillment of that shepherd motif of Yahweh in the Old Testament. Jesus, as our shepherd in the New Covenant, reiterates the same care, devotion, love, refreshment, provision, presence, and protection as Yahweh in the Old Testament. But there is also a clear call to follow Christ as our shepherd. In John 10, Jesus says that His sheep know His voice, and because of this, they follow Him. 
Beloved, we must be clear in our proclamation of the gospel. We must be clear that those who have not entered the fold are in danger of becoming prey to the wolves outside the fold. They must hear the voice of the shepherd in our proclamation. Nothing else will call the sheep to the fold. What you win them with is what you win them to. If you are using the world's methodology, you are calling them to the world, not to Christ. If you use the gospel, if you proclaim the words of the master, you call them to the master. Our mission is to make disciples, to usher them into the Lord's fold so that they may receive the blessings of the salvation found in Christ Jesus alone. Beloved, the longer we wait, the longer we hesitate for our family, our friends, our co-workers, the longer they are in danger of being eaten. The wolves are at the door now and they are hungry to devour those who wander They are hungry to devour those who have been called but refuse the fold. Those who are outside refusing to enter. We must be diligent in fulfilling our great commission. Ask yourself, how are you fulfilling the great commission? 